Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Damon Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business Sell the team. Once again, John Pielli with you. Passball show, hour two of the radio program. Hope you guys enjoyed the first hour. Nice interview there with Al Clark, longtime AL umpire. And, of course, he wrote a book uh, co-written by Dan Schlossberg, who's been a guest on his show called Called Out But Safe, uh, an umpire's journey of 25 years, uh, American League umpire from 1976 to 2001. Uh, second hour, we're going to hit a little bit of history, and we're going to take you back to the decade of the 1960s. And the 1960s, of course, started out the same way that the 1950s and the 1940s did. Um, the American League dominance of the New York Yankees, the Yankees uh, making it to the World Series, losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1960. And, of course, 61 and 62, they win the World Series. 63 and 64, they win a couple more American League pennants. But... Uh, What changes in the 60s is the dominance of the New York Yankees as a franchise. Mickey Mantle kind of gets a little older. Um, His body starts to betray him a little bit, and he ends up getting in a position where he is not the best player in all of Major League Baseball like he was for the most part of the 50s. And the biggest thing that hurt the Yankees was what they had after Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig were done. Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra came up, and of course, while... DiMaggio's career was ending and Yogi Berra was still playing. That's when Mickey Mantle came up. And there wasn't really anybody to take the torch for the New York Yankees and the dynasties that they've had in years prior. And a lot had to do with, of course, MLB instituting the draft, which we talked to Rick Reichert a couple weeks ago about him being really the last player in that bonus baby era before they instituted a draft for the 1965 season. And obviously that hurt the Yankees. They weren't able to get the best players that just wanted to play for the Yankees. The draft system allowed for the teams that finished with the worst record to have the first shot at getting the best talent. And, of course, you watch the Yankees as they go from 1960 to 1969 and it really is night and day and it coincides with the ending of Mickey Mantle's career of course he plays through 1968 doesn't announce his retirement until the 69th season as Mickey Mantle is getting older uh, he needs to get out of games earlier 
And it's not because he doesn't want to play. His body's just, like I said, is betraying him. It's starting to break down on him. And you want to make sure that he's ready to be in the lineup for the next day. And when we're playing longer seasons, we're talking about 162 games as opposed to 154. The Yankees do a good job in making sure that they have a caddy, somebody to come out there and play center field and later on his career first base to replace Mickey Mantle late in the game so he could be ready to play the next day. And, uh, you know, this hour we're going to hear from two of those guys. Um, Jack Reed, who played and, of course, played the role as Mickey Mantle's legs from the 1961 to 1963 seasons, which includes three games in the 1961 World Series. And Jack Reed uh, will be part of the program, as well as Ross Moshito, who played the role of Mickey's legs in the mid to late part of the 60s, in 1965 and 1967. Also, Roger Repos. Uh, played that role for a little bit. But in this hour, we're going to talk first with Jack Reed. And Jack Reed uh, has, has a great story. Southern guy. He grew up at Eliza Stan Musial and ends up, uh, because of an injury, not being able to be really an everyday player. So the role ends up benefiting both Mantle and Reed. And, you know, we'll talk to Jack right here. Hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Yankees outfielder Jack Reed. Good afternoon. Uh, my next guest is a former Major League outfielder for the New York Yankees in the early 60s, and that's Jack Reed. Jack, John Pielli over in New Jersey. I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes. Uh, sure. Uh, Jack. Uh, absolutely, man. That is mine, too. And, of course, you know, one question I always like to ask, and it's, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, I've asked a lot of a lot of people have had a chance to speak to. You know, when, when you think of baseball and you go back as far as you can remember, what is what is your earliest memory in regards to either playing baseball as a kid or, you know, listening to maybe a game on a radio? Well, uh, I go back to good ways, really. I live in a very small town, about 300 people. Uh, we had a school here, but we had a coach that was uh, very good at fundamental baseball. And uh, I think it's really the foundation that he uh, presented. And, and uh, I love the game anyway. I, I, was in the, I played high school ball when I was in the seventh grade. And... Uh, Listening to big league ball games, especially the St. Louis Cardinals, because they were the closest thing we had. And uh, I think all that together really made me want to be uh, a baseball player. Now, of course, when you you know when you're a kid, you're a pretty good athlete. You actually are pretty good, pretty good, uh, pretty good at football. And you know, tell us a little bit about you know just being an athlete as a kid. Uh, you know, was baseball your 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 main passion? Oh uh, yes, uh, 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 you know, I mean, it was a boyhood dream to, to play in the big leagues, and uh, even though I had a short career, it was. It was worth all the effort I ever put into it. Uh, I like playing just about everything, really. Uh, I ran track. Uh, I like that. Uh, I won the Mississippi State uh, Championship in the 440 in 1950. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing just about anything that came along. 
Yeah, it also probably kept you out of trouble, right? Being uh, you know so athletic, always playing, you know, kind of always had something to do, right? That's right. Well, I grew up on a farm, and my father was a farmer. And uh, when I got out of baseball, that's what I did. I did farm for 27 years, and uh, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed farming. Uh, it was a good profession. Uh, my father was a good farmer, and he had it. He was very successful at it. Uh, I'd like to say I was too, but I wasn't. Uh, now, how did how did your how did your father feel about you know you being an athlete? Was he you know was he was he real supportive of you as far as being uh, you know even when you got signed by the Yankees? Oh yes, he was. Uh, he really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> you know, funny thing happened to me really when I graduated from high school. Uh, I had several offers to play football in college, and, uh, and he went to Mississippi State uh, in college, and uh, that's where he wanted me to go, but uh, as things happened, I went to Ole Miss, and uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I got to play in the Sugar Bowl, and I uh, enjoyed that, really. That's pretty interesting, you know. You end up, you know, after all these years later, you, you know, was, was it something that you found out? You found out that like way later on that that was that was the reason why you went there. Yeah, well, I, it took me a while to, to realize that because I never thought about it that much. But uh, I also thought about it after I played in it that uh, I wondered why he would go to New Orleans every year. It didn't make any difference who was playing. I mean, it wasn't his school or anything like that. It just, he just liked to go to New Orleans and eat those horses. So, so the year that you played in the Sugar Bowl, you know, it must have been you know extra special for him because not only is he going down there every year, but he gets to see he gets to see his son playing a game. Oh yes, yeah. uh, sure was. Oh, uh, that was. Uh, I, I went several times with him. Oh. Uh, not knowing really who was playing, it really didn't make any difference. I just liked to go to the ball game. Back then, they played in old Tulane Stadium, uh, which seated about 85,000 people. And I often thought about, I'd like to be one of them players on the field, uh, be playing in, in such a prestigious game. And I got to do that. Uh, it's just like when I was with the Yankees, I got in the World Series, and I think, and, you know, it was just an amazing dream for me. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, John Pielli here with former Major League outfielder Jack Reed. Now, Jack, you know, you end up uh, being signed by the Yankees. Um, tell us a little bit about what was going on at the time, 
and from from there to get into the majors because you know it includes a stop you know you end up uh, going into the service and the military for a little bit and you also end up uh, suffering an injury if I'm not mistaken yes I did uh, well <laughs> I, I went into the military because I had to I was uh, I went through the whole program in college and I knew it was coming but uh, you know you hope against hope maybe they didn't need me but they did, and uh, I, I spent 16 months in Korea. It was right at the end of the war. Uh, but it was, it was it, it took about two years out of my way in Korea. Uh, I had just played at Binghamton at the time, which was, uh, I think, A-ball or whatever they called it back then. And John, I played with uh, John Black and Jim Coach, and they both went on to play for the Yankees. John Black was a power hitter, and uh, I think at Bingham, he hit over 30 home runs the year I played with him. He wasn't a great catcher in the world, but he was a good hitter. No, he definitely was, and uh, you weren't too bad yourself. I mean, that year in Binghamton, you ended up putting up some pretty good numbers yourself. If I'm not mistaken, you tied uh, the hit record, which I believe was set by Bobby Richardson. Uh, yes, uh, the year before. Yeah. And uh, when I got out of the uh, service, I, I went to New Orleans and played there, and uh, that was a double ball. And uh, I, had, I, got, I had 198 base hits. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive, and obviously you're on a, you're on a track to get yourself into the major leagues. You finally make your major league debut in 1961 with the New York Yankees. Take us back, take us back to that moment, what you were feeling, and just to describe describe what happened in that game. Oh, uh, well, I took Yogi Berra's place. I had Yogi playing left field at the time. And I took his place uh, on about the seventh or eighth inning. I've forgotten which of it. Anyway, when I got out there, I, I, I kind of, you know, we had to stay in uh, the old stadium, swooped uh, off from shortstop towards left field. The, the moment you step on the field and when you start, you, you know, you, you play, you obviously take over for Yogi Berra. Did you have an idea that that was going to kind of be the role you were going to have on that team, or did you oh, did you yeah. honestly expect to play a little more than you did? Oh yes, I did. I knew that because what I, that's what he had told me when I came. Uh, I had a, I had a offer to over the year before, and I didn't know whether I could really throw or not. Uh, I went up, I went up to Ole Miss during the winter, and the trainer up there worked on my arm. And uh, as it turned out, it turned out it was uh, to be all right. 
did. You end up, of course, over a couple of years, you know, you fill in. You spend a lot of time playing, uh, coming in for defensive replacement for Mickey Mantle. Tell us a little bit about what, you know, what you remember of Mickey and maybe some uh, some dialogue you guys had between the two of you. Well, uh, Mickey, well, I thought he was the greatest talent I ever saw in a uniform. I don't think there was anything this guy couldn't do. Uh, he could run. Uh, he hit with foul from both sides of the plate. And I saw him hit some monumental home runs. And the biggest one that I ever saw was, it liked about a foot. It would have gone all the way out of Yankee Stadium. Wow. Uh, he hit off of... I'm breathing bridges was his name. Kansas City. He hit that ball and hit the facade going up in right field. And if, if it had been about a foot higher, it would have gone all the way out of the Yankee Stadium. Now, I tell you, Mickey was known for really just hitting some of the most monumental home runs you've ever seen. Was that was that the farthest ball that you ever saw Mickey hit? Oh, yeah. I saw him hit a couple into the bullpen and in left field, of course. That was a pretty good poke, too. Oh, no question. You know, left field in the old stadium was 457 feet. Yeah. Yeah, it was and, no, uh, no joke. Yeah, I saw him hit a couple in that. Hey, once again. One of the biggest highlights that I had uh, really was getting to know Joe DiMaggio. Now, tell us a little, tell us a little bit about what you, you know, what you, you know, your, you know, really your your chance to get to meet him, and really what Joe was able to teach you. Well, you know, uh, in spring training, Mickey would go to bat maybe one time, two or three times, and not play the rest of the game. And uh, in the exhibition game, uh, the first one I had, and we played the Cardinals, because they trained right there in St. Petersburg with us. And uh, I made a couple of shoestring catches, and the next day, uh, Joe came up and started talking to me, and I, you know, you just didn't walk up and start a conversation with him. But after that, uh, I, I picked his mind about playing center field. You know, because uh, he was noted to be getting a good jump on the ball, and he told me he used to cheat that uh, playing against the same people year and you get to know what they hit and where they hit it and who they hit it off of. And uh, he said sometimes when he knew what the pitch was going to be and who was there, uh, he would kind of start inching towards that direction. He said sometimes you might get fine, but uh, most of the time you wouldn't. And I got to got to know I, I played golf with him some several times. And uh, I just got to know him really well. And it was one of the highlights of my career. Just to be able to talk to somebody like that. Yeah, you also found after after you started to maybe cheat a little bit on certain hitters that had certain tendencies, it it, it did wonders for for your game defensively as well, right? Oh yes, well. I asked him, I said, how do you play a guy like Scout? You know, Scout had an inside-out swing. He may hit it anywhere. And he said, well, you got to be a little careful with a guy like that. 
Yeah, no question. Once again, John Pielli here with Jack Reed. Now, uh, you know, being part of the 1961 Yankees, of course, one thing stands out, the big, the big home run chase with Mantle and Maris kind of going neck and neck for a long time. Of course, uh, before Mickey ended up getting hurt towards the end of the season, it kind of became uh, Roger Maris against uh, the immortal Babe Ruth in a home run record. Uh, what what exactly do you remember for that season, and what stands out about you know the the Mantle and Maris going back and forth, and of course, you know when it became to, came down to Roger Maris chasing a home run record towards the end of the season. Well, one of the biggest things was the day he hit the home run, I played at the ball game, and that was a big highlight for me. Uh, I don't know you remember not what the what the score of the ball game was. No, off the top of my head, I don't remember. One to nothing. Really? He hit a home run in the eighth, I believe, standing on white thing. I forgot which. Uh, it was giving six to one for the year. Uh, it was a complete ball player, though. I mean, he, it wasn't any fluke. Uh, he had the power. You know, uh, but I think everybody was really on him for Mantle because he was a. Uh, uh, Yankee, I mean, by that, I mean, he came up through the Yankee organization, and uh, Roger, uh, he started out with Cleveland, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Mickey was kind of like uh, uh, Joe DiMaggio and those guys, that uh, he was a Yankee, and he'd been a Yankee all the time, so I think maybe that was the biggest reason that everybody was pulling for him. Now, from what, from what you saw being in the clubhouse with Roger Maris, um, obviously the media has portrayed over for all these years later that it was certainly tough on him. Uh, it was something that maybe, uh, you know, the type of attention that may not have been suitable for the kind of person that Roger Maris was. What did you get to see kind of being in the clubhouse with, with Roger day in and day out? Well, uh, Roger was... Uh he was kind of an introvert type guy. Uh, he just, he kind of rubbed people a little bit the wrong way. Uh, but not, not serious, but uh, the general public, uh, general fans. Uh, he, I don't know, Roger just, to me, he just didn't handle it like he should have. I mean, if it had been me, I'd have been on top of the no, exactly, and uh, you know, I tell you, you know, he ends up, uh, you know, of course, you know, setting a home run record, and you know, becomes a legend in his own mind. Uh, you know, afterwards, you get a chance to be in the World Series again in 1962. Uh, do you think the 1962 Yankees were as good, better, or not as good as the 1961 team? Well, I, I don't think they were quite as good. Uh, it's a 61 team, but I'm, the 61 team just didn't believe they could lose. Uh, I can remember uh, Detroit was having a pretty good year, and I can remember uh, September the 1st, Scott uh, said, well, man, it's September, it's time to go to work. Well, we played Detroit at Delaware, and Yankee Stadium, we beat them. They went on and lost 10 games in a row, and the Aggies won 10 games in a row. <laughs> they just kind of took over. 
Yeah, that kind of took care of that, right? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Once again, John Pielli here with former Major League outfielder Jack Reed. Uh, one moment stands out for you, you know, at the plate. Uh, you were known as a, as a guy that played, you know, played a lot of games defensively in the outfield, and uh, you know, you hit a you hit a home run on uh, June the 24th, 1962, in the 22nd inning of a game against the Detroit Tigers off of Phil Regan, snaps a 7-7 tie. Uh, you know, take us back to that moment, obviously a game that's going on for a while. Uh, what comes to your head when you think of that day? Well, you know, uh, the game started out, we, we scored six runs on Frank Larry in the top of the first inning and scored another run in the top of the seventh. And then we went 19 innings before we scored again. Wow. But, uh, you know, everybody kept saying, well, somebody do something. Well, I think everybody expected, you know, Mal Maris and all those guys, uh, uh, you know, hit a home run and do something. And I don't think they were expecting me to do it. <laughs> I'm glad it was me. I'll say that. I'll put it that way. But uh, I wasn't known as a power hitter uh, like those guys. Yeah, no question. And then, you know, obviously you end up hitting a home run, but was that was that the longest game that you had ever played in, the 22 innings? That was it. And I, <laughs> it was a long, it was a night. Just like a, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you, it was about 85 degrees. And Sunday afternoon, started at 1.30. I've got a picture of, of uh, So you playing in a game that long, and you know, once again, John Pielli here with Jack Reed. Uh, is there anything that changes? Because you know you got inning, innings that go by, and I'm sure in an extra inning game you got uh, you know innings where both teams are kind of going up and going down. Uh, do, you, do you is there anything you have to change mentally to stay uh, to stay within a game like that? Well, uh, you know, I didn't play the third. I played nine innings. I went in the ball game at the 13th inning, and uh, oh, you know the guys that have been playing the whole ball game were getting a little tired. Of course. Uh, and, and you know everybody kept expecting something to happen, and it didn't. It just went on and on and on. I think the only thing that really happened was Rocky Colorado got seven hits. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's one thing about that game that nobody really points out is the fact that, yeah, Rocky Calavito got seven hits in that game. Uh, something that, you know, even if you look at, you know, things now, I mean, you know, you don't see, you know, there's probably only been a handful of players that have had that many hits in a game. Yeah, Rocky caught all 100 hits. Did he really? <laughs> did, he get, did he get the next day off? No, he caught the next day. <laughs> White Moore was catching the next day. So you didn't even eat? Oh, by the way, the next day, uh, I scored the winning run the next day. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're grateful that the game was just a nine-inning game. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, Jack. Last question I want to ask you: When you're, you know, when you were a kid, you know, you had a chance to to follow the game a little bit. Obviously, you were a big baseball fan, and that was your passion. Uh, who who did you look up to as a you know as a young kid trying to you know trying to own his own skills? Jack, I appreciate you giving me some time, man. And uh, like I said, uh, God bless you. Uh, okay. Great having a chance to catch up with Jack Reed. Obviously, uh, you know, one of Mickey Mantle's set of legs in the early part of the 60s. And Jack, for his career, uh, played in 222 games, only batted 129 times over three seasons from 61 to 63. Hit that one home run that he talked about, drove in six runs and hit 233 for his career. And also played in three of the Yankees games in a 1961 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and we're going to do the second half of the Yankee Caddy Hour here. We're going to talk about Mickey Mantle's legs in the 1960s, and we'll be speaking with former Major League outfielder Ross Moshito. And this is the final interview that I recorded down my trip in March when I went down to Florida. And, of course, I had a chance to interview a lot of different players down there, a lot of different stories. And on the other side of the break, we'll speak with former Yankees outfielder who was officially known as Mickey's Legs. And that's Ross Machito. Back after this. Hey, guys and gals. Want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HGTV? Then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Bunday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult and the meals are served on Frisbees. We have half-priced appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WINGS. That's 609-520-9464. So come on in and watch your favorite football team while having a great meal. Served up by the nicest and the hottest girls anywhere. Hope to see you there! Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. You're listening to MTR Radio. A flipping out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blazing the steel. Bring the heat. 
always covering the most current topics today, check us out on mtrradio.com. We offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over 5.5 million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, right here on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget to check out JohnPielli.com. I got all my interviews, the previously recorded ones you could listen to, as well as Bases Empty Blog. And if you heard a little bit in the first hour, a couple of the recap things that, that I wrote about over the past week or so. But all my articles are up on my site, JohnPielli.com. I even have the previous broadcast. Um, if you want to check back a show from last week or two years ago, it's all up there. Uh, we're going to continue this part of the program. We we're talking in the first part. We, we spoke with Jack Reed, uh, former Yankees outfielder, really the first version of Mickey's legs. And uh, he played from 1961 to 1963, including a little bit in the 1961 World Series. The other guy was the other part of Mickey's legs, and his name was Ross Machido. And Ross came up to the Yankees in 1965 at age 20 and played in a series of games, doing pretty much what Jack Reed did in 61 through 63, Spelling Mickey Mantle late in games, maybe as a pinch runner, usually as a defensive replacement. And he did miss the 1966 season. He was down in the minors a little bit and he was hurt. But in 1965 and 1967, he pretty much played the role of Mickey's legs. This interview takes place down in Florida over in Jupiter. And this is uh, right right by the place where Ross Machito was staying at. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Yankees outfielder Ross Machito. Good evening, this is John Fiali. I'm happy to be joined by a guy who played the outfield for the New York Yankees through 1965 to 1967. And that's Ross Machida. Ross, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. first question I'd like to ask, Ben, your, your earliest memory of anything involving baseball was when and what, what happened? What do you remember seeing or hearing maybe on the radio? Uh, I mean, as a kid, my dad was a baseball fan. and. Uh, as a kid growing up, you know, he saw I had the talent to play ball, so he pushed me in that direction. That was his dream, and uh, he kind of made it mine, you know, all sorts of, you know, junior school, high school, 20 league, little league, the whole, whole world, all the way through college, and, and I was lucky enough to get signed by the Yankees, and uh, so it started as, uh, you know, basically in grammar school, you know. And you were, you were a Brooklyn Dodger fan, if I'm not mistaken. I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan growing up in California, and uh, my biggest, uh, I was, of course, Sandy Koufax because I wanted to be a pitcher, and my dad wouldn't let me pitch because he didn't want to hurt my arm, so he made me play the outfield. But Sandy Koufax is still my idol. And uh, funny story is when I uh, joined the Yankees, uh, we went out on the road to Tivard for that exhibition game we played. It was in uh, Vero Beach, and uh, Johnny Keane was the manager then <clears throat> after the 64 World Series. Uh, sends me in to change it for Mickey Mantle. <laughs> Figure that. And uh, who am I facing? Sandy Cooper. Oh, wow. My idol, right? So, uh, 
of course, I'm a fastball hitter, you know, and uh, I'm looking for a sneaky fastball. And what did he do? He throws me three curveballs that looked like they fell off the table. And I just took three of those and sat down and just to say, you know, welcome to the big league, kid. Yeah, he wanted to make sure he got you out. And John Kelly here with Ross Machino. Now, did, did your father play ball at all? He played, yeah, he played ball through high school and, and he uh, had a chance to be signed by the Giants. And uh, when the uh, San Francisco had the uh, San Francisco Seals and Joe DiMaggio played for Yogi Berra, those guys, uh, my dad was invited up to try out, and that was with the Yankees. And uh, he and Yogi Berra were in tryouts, and my dad was catching a picture, and somehow the signals got crossed, and he got jammed in the right finger with the fastball, and shattered it with the middle finger, and that was the end of him. So, yeah, they signed Joe Wow, that's unbelievable. I thought it you, you look at the parallels oh, what you went through and you of course eventually playing for the Yankees. I mean that's yeah, there's just too much irony in there. It really is. It really is. I mean it's a childhood dream come true. I mean you grew up watching these guys manual and era. You know, you're just next thing you know, you're playing catch in spring training, it just blows your mind. Absolutely. And the first time I got into Yankee Stadium it was uh, you came in off the road at night, so I didn't get a chance to see it. But the next day, when I walked in, dressed up in the clubhouse, walked out in the field, and it was like walking into the St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's, it's such a shrine. Yeah, everything with the history and everything, it's all right in front of you. Hey, one thing I want to, I want to take a step back for a second and talk about, talk a little bit about going, going to college, playing ball in college, and your, your experience. Well, you know, I was a late bloomer. You know, I didn't start really playing baseball seriously. Uh, as I got older, until junior in high school. Um, I didn't want to play baseball, I wanted to play golf. Yeah. You know, music was my passion. My dad pushed me into baseball and made me go and try it out. So I tried out the junior varsity and made it. But it was very awkward. I was just starting to grow and ended my sophomore year. I must have grown a foot and a half because I started high school. I was four foot nine, now I'm six three. So yeah. I grew a lot very quickly and it was very awkward. I could hardly run, couldn't get out of the batter's box without falling down. So, you know, I got through that, and then my junior year I played a little bit, not a lot. And my senior year, of course, I excelled because I started, you know, getting into myself as far as maturity and development. And then first year of college was the same way, you know, it was like slow developing. And my second year, it's full time, you know, hitting almost 500, you know, you know. And you did well too, right? Yeah, yeah. So we did very well. And uh, when I was in junior, uh, in college there in Crescent City, uh, I. My teammates were Dick Stommel, who ended up with the Mets in the Chicago, and of course Tom Seaver. You know? So we both came out of California, and we're very good friends today. And uh, we went all state juniors two years in a row there. That's awesome. Junior college, so it was a you know, great experience. I signed with the Yankees, a year later they signed with the Mets. I always said if I signed with the Mets, I would have been at 69 World Series. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it would have been. So, well, once again, John Kelly here with Ross Rashido. Now, about a little bit about your transition with the Yankees because you end up getting signed by the Yankees. Prior to that, you mentioned the success you have in college. Mm -hmm. As you're coming to the majors, you look at the Yankees, the juggernaut, the history they got. In fact, they got X amount of World Championships up through 1964, including the last one. Uh, what's, your, what's your feeling going going into camp that year? Obviously, you think they, your, your tradition of winning wherever you've been, which you've had that history before you, will kind of continue. You would think, because I was always on a winning team since the little year. We always were you know, state champions, all through Middle League, high school, college. Uh, like I said, college, two years, all state in a row. And then uh, I just 
you know, when I went down to River League right out of college for a couple months, I tore the league up and we were champions again. We won the league by 10 games. Yeah, so you think within the farm system of like the Yankees guy, you got some sort of stuff on the horizon, right? Things are going to I get, Then I get up to the Yankees in 65, you know, coming out of the championship year was the rookie league in 64, and man, we're in the cellar. And I said, what am I, a jinx or something like this? Like, I couldn't fathom why we weren't, especially since the year before, there were the World Series, you know? I mean, what had changed so drastically in that one season? I, I couldn't I don't believe what had happened. Yeah, it took forever to get back up to, uh, you know, to where the Yankees were. Yeah, it definitely took a while. And, you know, what is your, your first your first day on the ball field? Was it at Yankee Stadium? Yankee Stadium, yeah. Well, we uh, we started on the road. Um, I think it was Detroit, or I think it might have been Detroit and Cleveland, right? Yeah. But Henry uh, got the bat yet, so I just played a couple of things defensively. But my first time out on the ball field as a major league ball player was exhibition game in West Palm Beach with uh, the Braves. And the Braves was trying again. Um, it was the um, Milwaukee Walker Braves. Right? And uh, so I was sitting on the dugout, right, just standing there watching the game go on. He's waiting in, and Johnny Keane comes up to me and says, uh, you're going to Fremantle next to me. So, okay, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I get a little excited. Yeah, exactly. Mickey's standing next to me, he turns and looks at me and gives me a little nod and says, slap some color in that face, kid, you're going in. That's <laughs> 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 the first game, right? It's like a running out center field, you know, the next inning. And, uh, of course, the wind was blowing straight in like crazy and probably like 20 miles an hour. And, uh, I forget who it was, but he hit a line shot out to me, and I knew he was going to the fence. So I turned around, I toe to the fence, and as I looked back, I didn't realize that wind was blowing so hard, the ball was dropping dead on the Johnson. I had to turn around and charge him hard and end up making a shoestring catch clean out on that play. You know, it was just, you're so excited and nervous, you know, things you just don't think right, so, you know, but it was the way I reacted, it was funny. Yeah, once again, John Fiala here with Ross Machito, and of course, Ross. You know, got a, got a lot of chance to play a lot of center field for the Yankees, and obviously before that, that's one of your strengths, the ability to play defense. You played a, a, a deep center field, you were able to cover a lot of ground, you had a lot of speed. What do you think was maybe attributed to you having as much gifted ability to play the outfield, to roam the outfield, to cover as much ground as you were able to do in center field? It's, um, Basically, it's, I think you're born with that ability. I think, uh, you know, going up in the Little League and everything, you, you realize the ability you had to sense things and that kind of speed that I had. I wasn't explosive quick like now. I didn't have that, you know, that powerful, you know, explosive that he had, you know, like he gave him home first and yeah, yeah. really quick. And his starts were very fast. Uh, he wasn't like a DiMaggio who used to get a great jump in the ball and was graceful and you know, had a long stride and was fast across the outfield. That was similar to Joe, and everybody said so. Uh, but it's something instinctively I just, I could just see the ball the way it was pitched and the way it was hit and the sound of the bat and the whole thing combined, you just knew where it was going and I would get an awesome jump on the ball and I think that's what it attributes to my, you know, covering so much ground and being effective that way. Yeah, no question. That's how, you know, you're able to, you know, obviously play defense very well, you come in, for those games as Mickey Mantle's defensive replacement. Uh, what happens after the 1965 season? 65, when I came back spring training, 66. Uh, heading up the road and uh, 
Next thing I get a draft notice. <laughs> so we all started panicking and the Yankees you know, trying to find out where I could get into the club unit, you know. So I kind of got into California and then I went to basic training, so it took up most of the season. Uh, couldn't finish the season, so it was pretty much the whole year was wasted for me between basic training and the NXT. Now, did you get to play any ball at all while you were here right now? No, that was at the Army and then came back the next spring and uh, you know, started the season again. Uh, did you feel like you had to make up for lost time? Was it yeah. like one of those things? I kind of was up and down because, you know, it was, uh, I'd been out of here, so they were, you know, I had a good spring and uh, then Trish got hurt, so I started it down. And then, uh, then I was having problems, so they sent me down to Syracuse and I came back up again and finished the season with the Yankees and then uh, spring training 68 tore my Achilles in the spring training, you know, the soft sand and the outfield, you know, how I did it, you know, because I've been running all the way along, it was in great shape, but just the way I took off or whatever, you know, I blew it out and that was it, you know, I spent two months in a cast and they sent me to Brainington for a couple of weeks, you know, and then, uh, and then I went to Syracuse and they tried to come back in 69, started off well, but all the problems came back. So there was 10 nights and I was throwing on high and you know, favoring the ankle and everything, and that was the end of it. So. This is a sign of the time. So you feel that you feel maybe with the technology now, you might have had a better chance of well, recovering yeah. close to full health? They had no way of repairing that then. Today with microsurgery procedures, I mean, they didn't fix anything. You're back out in three weeks, you know. So. It would have, you know, definitely affected my career. I could have stayed there and made a name for myself other than Nikki's legs, yeah. you know, back in the mail, you know. But uh, by then, 69, he brought up Bobby Mercer and he was you know, doing well. So yeah. I became the anti Center as opposed to when they signed me. That was the whole reason I signed me. Now, the two, two years you were after the Major League, 65 and 67, who did you room with? Who was your roommate? Uh, I roomed with Johnny Blanchard for a couple months. Cause, uh, well, we pulled in the Yankee Stadium that night for off the road. Uh, he was a clubhouse guy who had been there since Babe Ruth, and a great guy. Funny. Uh, he sent me up to the Concord Plaza for a room, and I was going to stay there. I walked into the room, and it was about the size of an average bathroom with a bed and sink. And no sooner did I put down my suitcase, and Johnny Blanchard calls me up. And he was staying at the Motor Lodge on the Major Deegan Expressway and said, Come on down there with me, kid. You want to stay there. So I did that. And he became like a second father to me. He took me in his wing. And guided me, you know, and uh, I roomed with him for a couple months. And, uh, you know, we were great friends ever since. We see each other a lot, you know, throughout the years and outings and stuff. And I was very close to Johnny. Uh, then I traded uh, to Cleveland at the mid 65, and he was heartbroken. I mean, he was sitting in his locker just crying like a baby. Devastating, but what are you going to do? Absolutely. Take us back to 1965. I want you to tell me about your first home run. Yeah, I was telling you about who was off of, the experience, what field it went to, where you were at. Well, again, they'd been comparing me to Joseph Monash in the outfield, so uh, Minnesota came into town July 14th, no, June 14th. I was yeah, June 14th, I think it was. And uh, Johnny Keener put me in about halfway to the game. They moved Matt to left, Rogers and right, so I was in center field and finished the game. Mickey just hit a home run. Uh, and towards the end of the game, Roger hit one, and then uh, they brought in Jim Perry, the relief pitcher, and I hit home off him. And they kept telling me, that's the upper deck of left field, that's where DiMaggio used to hit. So, you know, right away, here we go. And 
And uh, next day in the papers, uh, they wrote up all the papers, the, the Post and the Times, and it was, uh, it's no longer the M&M boys, it's now the M&M and boys. <laughs> so that was, that was a great, uh, great moment. Nah, no question. How many, how many times did you get to experience that again? How many other home runs did you have? That was it. That was, that was the one, one yeah. That was the one only in Yankee Stadium, you know, and, because uh, I, I never got out much. I just, yeah. defensively, I played, you know, over 160 games. And I'm one of the few guys on record that actually played more games then I got up and back. Oh, absolutely. So that's one of those records. That, you know, yeah, there's not, there's not too many in that category. I don't know. Now, listen, you, you come from college. You were in high school. You were obviously a star player, top player on your teams. You go over, you sign with the Yankees, you come up there, you take this this different type of role. Now, being a, a, a more, more of a defensive-oriented player, did that make you work on your defense more? Did you, for instance, take more fielding practice, spend more time in the outfield than you would, let's say, you know, take a batting practice or stuff like that? No more than usual because okay. I, was, I was old school my whole life, so that's all they taught me. And like I said, I always kind of patted myself after the macho. Uh, I always emulated Felipe Lewis for my team because yeah. I love his style. It's very over the top and mechanical. He had a very powerful arm, and I developed my throwing that way. Uh, but as far as uh, developing my skills, now I just was always chasing fly balls from outfield batting practice. I just went from one side to the other. I don't care if it was hit the left field or right field. I would go after it. I'd try to read the, you know, the ball off the bat and you know, get my jump and get, just get you know, back into the routine of doing it every spring training. And like I said, it's an thing. It's, I don't know, it's something to learn because I think Mike always had it. You know? Yeah. And, now once again, John Pialli here with Rosh Mashida. Later on, all these years later, you see the way Maybe it has changed, maybe it hasn't changed, the positioning of a center fielder, the way a center fielder plays defense, the, the ability to cover ground, the importance of a throwing arm, all stuff that existed when you played. Is there one player in your mind that you watch play center field after you and say, wow, this is, that, that was the way you, you should play it? Uh, I think, to be honest, when I left baseball, other than for my son, we would follow the Yankees back in the 70s. I kind of stopped following them. Uh, I used to admire Jesse Barfield's arm because he threw the way he was a cannon. Yeah, right over the top. Yeah, over the top. As far as outfielders, I mean, Gardner you know, was one of the guys that you know had great speed and I liked the way he played. Uh, Granger, maybe, you know, he had you know, kind of ability. Uh, Paul Blair, who, you know, probably, you know, was a great defensive outfielder. He played you know, fairly shallow, and he could go back and get him. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, I kind of played deep because I knew that I could really charge the ball, you know, and because I had to speed in. But the, my ability to read the ball off the bat, you know, I had no problem turning and going for the fence, but it was, I knew you always get in a lot quicker and you turn around and go back, so that's why I played. How do you look at that? Let's say a Paul Blair or somebody else that may play in more. Uh, do you say, hey, to each its own, whatever, whatever works best for you, or do you feel, do you feel that whoever you are, you're better off playing deep? Well, uh, like I said, it's easier to come in than go back to the ball. So I think if you, unless you're, you're really quick, uh, you better play a little deep. You know, there's a couple more ground, first of all. So, uh, yeah, it's easier to see the ball and play, you know, easier to back up the guy. If you're in shallow, you know, and you get some hard shots to left or right, it's hard to get behind the guys, you know, as opposed to when I play deep, 
and I was behind everybody. Like I used to scare Roger, because even on pop-ups, I'd be seeing Roger behind the head, you know, looking at him, you know, and he was never used to that, and I used to turn around and say, oh, you're scaring the hell out of me, kid. <laughs> oh, come too close. <laughs> How was your experience with Roger Maddox as a teammate? Roger, he was a great guy, very quiet, didn't like the press, kept himself, but, uh, you know, you could talk to him, you know. Uh, not a problem. He's just, you know, very social, but he, like I said, he was, you know, he was kept himself a lot, you know. He was one of the kind of guys who was kidding around the clubhouse yeah. and stuff like that, you know. No, Roger. He was just, you know, all business. He was all business. Friendly man, and, you know, that was it. It was Roger, you know. Hey, you mentioned uh, Johnny Blanchard. Is there, is there any teammate, in, in your opinion, that you, you really enjoyed being your teammate? Was Blanchard the answer, or was there somebody else that you say, you know, I'm glad I got a chance to play with this guy? Well, Capitone was my roommate. Okay. He was a funny guy, a uh, fun guy to be with. Uh, I was trying to get him in trouble. So, Phil Lynch was very close to Phil, of course, a great kid. And uh, I remember the first day of spring training, I went to the walk of the dining room at the Yankee Clipper Hotel. Phil was sitting at the table all by himself, so I walked over and said, I sit down. And, yeah, sure. And we just started talking, you know, he got the friendship then, and he's telling me, you know, geez, I think I forgot any curveball, he said to me. <laughs> well, you know, that's what we're here for, you know, learn how to hit all over again, I guess. So, uh, you know, ever since then, we're great friends. Um, and then the guys in general, they were just so great, down to earth. I mean, Blanchard, uh, Cleet Boyer, you know, Kubek, you know, all the guys, you know, Yogi, uh, this, everybody that played them, Whitey Ford, I don't care who it was, all they wanted to do was help you, you know. And if you asked them something, they talked with you, you know, they were great with the fans, were close to the fans, uh, you know, they weren't stands offish, you know, it was just so different back then, a different group of guys. And even today, when we go to golf outings and, you know, charity events, they were very down there, sociable, you know, they talk to the people, you know, and they're not afraid to sign autographs and they'll do whatever they want. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just a great bunch of guys. It's a different era back then. Baseball by itself is just totally different. Addison Ross, I want to thank you for having some time. Really appreciate it. Hey, John, you're welcome. Appreciate it. Great getting a chance to chat there with Ross Machido and, of course, Jack Reed, Mickey Mantle's legs of the 1960s. And, of course, big thanks to Al Clark as well as his publicist, Ira Silverman, for helping set up that interview. It was great catching up with Al and sharing a little bit about his book, Called Out But Safe, An Umpire's Journey. We'll be back with you next week right here at a Pass Ball Show, brought to you by johnpielli.com. And don't forget to tweet at me, at john underscore Pielli, as we keep the program interactive. See you next week. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. American Airlines, we mean business in Chicago.